You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Why look at these festivals that began 3,000 years ago? What do they have to do with us? Why celebrate harvest just now? Why celebrate harvest when very few of us are involved in agriculture? Well, I want to suggest to you that we are a culture which is constantly seeking for something to celebrate. And celebrating the winner of the X Factor doesn't quite fit with this great picture that the Bible has. Why did we spend 12 billion on the Olympics? It's a great celebration of London and so on. I think in our culture we've lost our way and we've lost the real reason to celebrate Christmas and Easter, for example. Uh, Holidays were literally holy days. That's what they were. They were days to to remember God and to to rest. Uh, Our harvest, Thanksgiving, a lot of these things have really just gone. And I want to suggest to you that when we lose the holiness, we also lose the holy days. And one of the things that we need to do as Christians, and perhaps paradoxically, as our culture becomes more depressing in so many ways, or more trivial, or more shallow, we as Christians need to teach our culture how to celebrate. They need to see what real celebration actually is. Our culture has the veneer of celebration. Our culture will say it knows how to party, but actually it doesn't because it doesn't know what the, the partying or the celebration is. Verses 10 to 13 of Exodus 23 describe the life that the Israelites were to have. And it's an amazing story because they're given three blessings that for them we take for granted. But for them were extraordinary promises because they were people who were wandering in the desert wasteland. Not for four hours, but for 40 years. They were people who were greatly unsettled, who had no home, who had left slavery, but seemed to have gone into a wilderness. And they're promised three things here. They're told about three things, given these laws. First of all, they're actually promised crops. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. Instead of being nomads, instead of wandering all over the place... They could plant for six years and then have a fallow year. They would have so much prosperity, they could give the land a rest for a year. This indicates to them at least peace and stability and prosperity. It was an absolute dream. We can pick and choose the foods that we eat, what we like and what we don't like. It's only when you have gone without genuinely gone without, not knowing where your next meal comes from, that you appreciate with great thankfulness what God has given. The second blessing was was the Sabbath, the whole idea of taking rest and taking refreshment. The six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the slave born in your household and the alien as well may be refreshed. They were promised rest and refreshment and celebration of the creation and God's salvation. And again, for people wandering in the desert, that's just a tremendous promise, the idea of rest and and celebration and refreshment. Again, paradoxically, we live in a culture where people are, they kind of boast about leisure time, 
but they're very reluctant to rest, to take a whole day genuinely off every week. And the third blessing that they're given is the opportunity to worship God and to worship Him alone. And that was a tremendous blessing. So that those three things, that there is food, that there is stability, that there is peace, that there is a Sabbath, that there is the opportunity to rest, that there is uh, the opportunity to worship God. These are things we should be thankful for every single day. I think that uh, in our culture, we have moved away from the third of those, the idea of worshiping God, and we will lose the other two completely, the idea of rest and prosperity. And we, we as, as Christians believe that our culture needs to be called back to a, a genuine following of God, a genuine repentance. Otherwise, our reasons for celebration are going to become increasingly meaningless. But I want us to look at these three annual festivals, just really to mention them. But sometimes we read this and we don't understand how it fits in with the whole Bible. I just want to give the, the bigger picture side of it. Three things to celebrate. First of all, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's, um, sorry, is that, no, there's nothing up on the screen. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was the Passover. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was at the beginning of the barley harvest in May or June. And the first fruits of that would be the barley loaves, the first uh, loaf that would be baked. And there it was to be, that, that was when that feast was done. And uh, later on in the chapter, it talks about, don't offer the bread of, a, bread of blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. And that festival... Each of the festivals teach us things about ourselves as well as celebrating what God has given. And that festival was to celebrate being freed from slavery, being freed from sin, and also that being renewed, being refreshed. Secondly, they were to celebrate the Feast of Harvest. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, by the way, of course, is also known as the Passover. The Feast of Harvest was otherwise known as the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 49 days. And that's how we get the term Pentecost, because Pentecost means 50 days, but the Hebrews weren't a bunch of pedantic literalists saying, no, no, you've got to call it the whatever it would be in Hebrew, the 49 days, which is probably an unpronounceable word, but Pentecost, the 50, the 50 days. The days, you do your 49 days, your seven weeks after you've celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then you celebrate this Feast of Harvest, the Harvest Thanksgiving. And they're told there, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. The best of fruit and wine was brought to celebrate. Always interesting, that, that whole idea of bringing the best. Don't bring the rubbish. Don't bring the stuff you can't sell. Don't bring the wine you don't want to drink. Bring your absolute best as an offering to God. That was the second festival, the Feast of Harvest. And the third is the Feast of Ingathering at the end of the year, otherwise known as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was great. It was You get these big green leaves, you'd put them together and... Uh, it would be in the driest month of the year, October. This is obviously not Scotland, 
you're not going to be doing this in Scotland. You are not going to get some green leaves, you know, some ferns or whatever, and go and live out in a field for a week uh, because it's the driest month in the year. But they did. And again, it was just to remind them of God's goodness to them. These were the three great feasts. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover. Seven weeks later, the Feast of Harvest, Pentecost. And then at the end of October, the Feast of Ingathering or the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Incidentally, the do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. That was tied in with the Feast of Ingathering. And from that, you get the Jewish practice of not eating dairy and meat produce at the same time. I loved once going to a restaurant in New York. It was a Jewish restaurant. And you were searched before you went in to see if you had any dairy products on you. Because you wouldn't be allowed in if you had any dairy products on you. So that was my Dairy Lee cheese gone uh, in the bin. But uh, that's where all that came from. And there are several opinions about what does this verse mean. I think it's very simple. Uh, The three options, I think all of them are true. One was there was a particular pagan custom. And what they're being told is don't get involved in pagan customs. As Christians, we, uh, I'm quite often hear people say, oh, you just take over the pagan festivals. No, we actually have our own. Don't get involved in the pagan customs. Don't mix and match in terms of religion. But also here, I think it's teaching that what is designed to give life should not become a means of death. The mother's milk was designed to give life. It seemed particularly perverse. And also, as we read earlier about the animals being given rest, there's also a principle in there that Christianity teaches that we should look after animals. It is not for nothing that William Wilberforce, the man who is most famous for having been responsible for abolishing slavery, also started the RSPCA. And that, uh, if you've seen the film Amazing Grace, you see a scene at the beginning where he castigates a couple of men for beating a donkey. Someone who has a Christian understanding will grasp that animals are different from human beings, but we are nonetheless to care for and to look after. So these three feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover, the Feast of Harvest, Pentecost, the Feast of Ingathering, Tabernacles, they teach us to celebrate. And to celebrate what? I'm going to name four things, and it's part of what we're doing today. Firstly, they teach us that we are a community. These feasts bring people together. There's a, uh, I think it's a blues song, and if it's not, somebody should write it. I'm pretty sure I'm not making this up in my head. I thought there was a blues song that says, I eat alone. I know there's one that said, I drink alone. But eating alone, I eat alone. It's kind of sad that micro meals are very symbiotic of our society and our culture. Of course, it's not wrong being alone. And and it is nice being alone. But, you know, I know that when I'm at home on my own, not that I do the cooking much, but if I'm on my own, um, there's, there's much less incentive to cook and to prepare a meal and to sit around a table. Sit around a table by yourself. You might as well just sit on a tray and put it on your lap and watch the TV or something. There's this something about eating together as a family, as a community, as friends, as a church. Something about celebrating together. Now, I think our society doesn't really do that very well. 
I think our society atomizes people. I think our society packages things so that people can be individualistic and buy things for themselves. We don't really encourage community in that respect, though we, we say that we do. The church, the society atomizes, but the church unites. Why bother having a, a, a congregational lunch? What, what's the purpose of it? So that we can eat together, so that we can be a community together. And you may say, I can't be bothered with all that hassle and trouble and difficulty. Yeah, but that's the point. Community does cost us something. And we are a community. And these festivals reminded the Israelites they were a community. And the church is, we need to be reminded we are a community. Secondly, history. These festivals taught great events from the past. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover, that taught about the escape from Egypt. Remember what happened. It was a memorial meal. The Feast of Harvest, Pentecost, talked about the giving of the law. That's when it was done. The Feast of Tabernacles remembered being in the wilderness. And you come into the New Testament, and what do you get there? It's amazing how these link together, and it's important to realize this, and it's not immediately obvious. Christ was born on the Feast of Tabernacles. He was crucified on the Feast of the Passover. And the Holy Spirit came on the Feast of Pentecost. See, Christians who go, oh, I just need the New Testament. I don't need the Old Testament. You can't get the New Testament without the Old Testament. And suddenly when you realize that these things occurred not randomly, but God planned them and purposed them and that they are tied in with events uh, hundreds of years before and events hundreds of years afterwards, there's something kind of more special and spectacular about it. So we have feasts to remember our history. And I think that's important for us when we, for example, this evening we sit at the Lord's table. We are remembering the Lord's death until he comes. Third reason is celebration. First is community, second history, third celebration. There's a great word that's used here, hagag, H-A-G-A-G. And it's a word we would translate as celebrate. It means literally to go round in a circle. Now, why do you think it means that? Because if you've ever seen Jewish dancing, um, it's done in circular dances. So there's a dance floor up here, <laughs> but you could, I could, if, you, if we could demonstrate this, you get some of you, and usually um, in a Jewish community, it would be the men, particularly the elders who would do it initially, they'd come and they'd stand in a circle and they'd put their arms around one another and they would sing and then they would just begin moving around and getting faster and faster and all you people in the periphery would be clapping your hands and shouting and so on. So we'll plan that for next week. <laughs> Clear the chairs. But it was, a, it, was, it was that idea that these feasts were about celebrating. They were about joy and rejoicing. They were about rest and relaxation. And fourthly, they were always tied in with this. Joyful giving. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. We give the best, not the rest. Lunch, collection, fellowship, party time. We assemble ourselves together and we celebrate what God has given and we ourselves give. It's interesting, isn't it, that over and over again, studies have shown and demonstrated that by far the most generous people are the poorest people. 
Because having been poor, they know what it is to lack and just desire to give. When you receive from God's hand and you recognize it's from God's hand, you celebrate by giving. I think this, for me, the definition of someone who's either not a Christian or a backslidden Christian is a closed hand, a fist. It's a hand that's holding on tight. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. The definition of a Christian who is walking in God's ways is an open hand. A hand that says, Lord, what you give me belongs to you and is to be used for everyone else. So I leave you with this thought, suggestion, as regards Jesus Christ. We need a reason to celebrate. Sometimes people will go out and celebrate. They'll have the party tunes. They'll have the food. They'll have the drink. They'll have everything. But they don't really have the reason to celebrate. We need to be able to give thanks in order to celebrate. And I think our, we have many reasons to give thanks. But our, surely our greatest reason of all is this. Jesus Christ. And all our celebrations are around him. That's why having a harvest festival isn't enough unless you recognize that that festival includes and at its center is giving thanks to God for what he has done for us. I love uh, how you bring these things together in John 7:37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Jesus was at one of these feasts and Jesus was saying to the people, look, if you're thirsty, come to me. If you're hungry, come to me. And as we celebrate, we celebrate the fact that there is always someone at the head of our table who says, come to me, come eat and come drink. And if you are not a Christian here, I just simply say to you, you really do not know what celebration is. You do not know what hagag is, what dancing is. You do not know what joy is, what rejoicing is until you come to know Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are Christians, you know this, God in his mercy has given us one day every week that's our celebration day. What was the Jewish Sabbath becomes the Christian Lord's Day because on it we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. And I would say to you, make Sunday your day of rest, your day of recreation, your day of joyful giving, and your day of celebrating Christ. And what better way to finish off the Lord's Day, if you like, than coming this evening and sitting together at the Lord's table. May God bless his word to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to receive it. We thank you for the feasts in the Old Testament of Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles and how they're reflected in the new. We thank you for this harvest thanksgiving that we have here. We thank you, O Lord, that we can celebrate together as a community round your word, your abundant provision for us. May it be that each one of us would know and experience that this day in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, 
please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.